Thank you. So, um, hey, you know what I love about our church is we are a church who always says that, you know, we, we believe in teaching the word verse by verse. We believe in a financially transparent church where you can ask any question you want. We also believe in a church that will, um, will just show any needs that we have. We have a board in the back where if you have financial needs, you can certainly put on there um, everything from a vehicle to whatever you put on there and people pray and who knows, there may be somebody that God is putting here to answer that. We, we are a church that believes in a big God. And we're also a church that loves teaching the word throughout the week. We have small, uh, community groups and small groups that go on throughout the week. You guys absolutely slammed the community groups with a lot of people. Some of them were over 20-something people, which really isn't a small group, is it? You know, But uh, we have a lot of different groups that are meeting. And uh, we have, you know, we started them several weeks ago. So one just started last week. Actually, a couple of them just started last week. But I know... Uh, what I again, what I love about here is we can always say, "Hey, we have a need," or "Hey, um, one of the classes didn't have as many people as we thought." Dennis, stand up if you could. Dennis, stand up. Always best dressed. We always case. So anyway, Dennis, thank you. Dennis is teaching a class. Um, you're teaching it on Peter, right? Yeah, and so Dennis carries a lot of experience teaching Bible uh, study fellowship BSF, which if you know anything about the training that goes involved or is involved in that, Dennis is teaching a class on Thursday nights at Ron and Sandy Penner's home in the back. Ron in the back, if you'd wave these on our medical team, so uh, he can tell you where to get to his house, or simply when you walk in the lobby, grab a sheet of paper and it has the address down there at the bottom. Okay, so again, that's Dennis's class teaching on Tuesday night. I'm sorry, Thursday night at six. 30 at the home and Ron and Sandy. If you haven't connected a small group, what a way to encourage a guy and you can join the one person that showed up last week and, uh, and, and, and make that a more than small group. So anyway, we're just looking for that. Thank you very much. He, he's offering signing bonuses too. So anyway, so anyway, there it is. That's who we are. And, uh, just let you know that all the other classes are doing incredibly well. And I think there's room on a Tuesday night group for Alan Devers at, at your home, at the Horst home. So, awesome. Well, we're taking a break from the book of Acts today because we do have somebody who we've asked to share. And so what's going to happen in just a little bit, I'm just going to open up with some verses that the Lord's put on my heart. And then tonight, if you are available to come to this dinner, it's in my home at 530. We'd love to have you there. It's going to be a lot more entailed. Uh, not only from Rebecca, who you're going to hear from this morning, but it's also going to give you some more information on what's going on in South Sudan and Uganda, where a lot of South Sudanese have gone, and uh, the persecution is going on there. It's an organization we work with. It's most, one of the most amazing organizations you ever work with. Uh, you'll see a hero in my life, Ann Rao. Some of you know Ann. Everybody says you need a Paul in your life, right? A Paul, right? You know, a spiritual Paul. She's my Paulette. I mean, Anne is somebody who's really just helped me, show me what it means to sacrifice in her journey. Um, and so, Rebecca, I told you the first service that this is a church that values missions. Uh, you would never think we're building a church because we are all about building a ministry. We're talking about building church exclusive of walls. And we are... We're not out to be the coolest church. We're about being a part of a network of churches um, that meet all around the world. And, you know, when you look at that philosophy, it says this, that if you're from another church and you come in here to visit, you're visiting family. And Shale preached a great message a while back about 
the prayer that we are connected to what the Spirit is doing, the Holy Spirit is doing around the world, that we are all connected together. Think about the books of the Bible in the New Testament. They were writing from church to church, most of them. They were writing to encourage each other. It was the persecuted writing those who weren't persecuted, and sometimes writing to others who were persecuted. Um, you know, Rebecca, you walk into a church, too, that speaks very heavily on the persecuted church. This, uh, our group for, took six weeks to learn about the persecuted church on a Wednesday night, and we packed the room out. And then we learned how to interact with our Muslim neighbors. We took three weeks in that. We're going to have another training series on how to interact and understand the mindset of somebody who's Buddhist. Um, but our, the heart we have for other believers is something that's very real. And so your heart and your message is something that I just wanted to open up with in some verses that talk about forgiveness and what that means. Uh, I think every one of us in here have people in our life that is hard to forgive. And we're completely justified in that, by the way. But when it comes to what God has in store for us in the area of forgiveness, leads into an area of life like you have. Because if anyone in here has a right to harbor a sense of anger. If anyone in here has a right to harbor a sense of judgment against someone, Rebecca would be you. And so you walk in here to give us an inspiration. So, hey, let me pray for me, and then we're going to turn to the scripture, okay? Jesus, please speak through me, and Rebecca as well, that God, you just move in our words today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so hey, turn in your Bible to uh, Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 what I love about the book of Psalms is this, it is an absolute ride when you start reading a chapter that you'll notice the person is just spilling their heart. And they could, you're going to see they're going to change heart in one simple verse. Now remember, verses, verse numbers, chapter numbers were added much later. Scripture was not written, divided in such a way. So look with me. And look what is being said in Psalm 139, and we'll start with, uh, with, with uh, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. This sounds really good, right? I mean, this is the daily bread, pretty much. We're reading this in the morning. What a, we're praising God. Watch the turn right here. Here it is. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do, I, I, do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Watch this next verse. Here it is. I don't think we can get any more dramatic than this. I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. This is the screaming match you've heard between people. I hate you. I hate you with everything in me. This is, how did you just go from, oh God, I count your, de- your, your love for me more than the stars in the sky. I love you. God, I hate these people with everything I've got. <laughs> and so if that wasn't a flip enough, watch this. Verse 23, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What, what, a, what a sight. I was brand new in ministry 20 years ago, 
I go to a hospital. I can point exactly to the waiting room I was in, very similar to what you all were waiting in in the hospital this past weekend. Walked into a hospital, and uh, this lady's husband had been taken in, and he didn't make it, unexpectedly didn't make it. The pastor I was shadowing uh, was was the one on call that day. It was you know, a large church at Idlewild. We had 20-something pastors, and so you would each person would take duty. And I remember being in that room, and I remember hearing some advice that was given that I I, I didn't expect. I didn't, never studied for. She, the, the wife is sitting in the waiting room with a bag. A bag, you know, when you go into a hospital, they put your belongings in a bag, and they, they, they close it, and they give it to you, and you take it home. Well, his entire belongings that he wore, his belt, his shoes, his wallet, his watch, were in this bag. But they were going home without him because he had passed. Very unexpectedly, very quickly. And she is in this chair, and there is no other family there, and this pastor is the only one talking to her. And she is screaming, why did this happen? How could God allow this to happen? How could God allow this? Uh, this is my husband. This is my life. How am I going to go home? What am I going to do? And I mean, she had, was just letting it go. And he's, he's talking to her. He's, and he's doing the godly thing, which is this, just sit by somebody. Sometimes you don't say anything. Just let them talk. And then uh, he looked at her and he, he said something. I want to, I'll never forget it. He said, I want you to we do something. When we get you home, we'll get you around some people, but I want you to recognize it's okay to, call, to, to yell out a God like you're doing. I want you to do this. I want you to, t- to take his pillow, the pillow he slept in, and I want you to picture that's the face of God. I want you to beat that pillow. Do whatever you want to do to that pillow. You yell at it. You punch it. You throw it. You do whatever you want. Do that if that'll help you feel any better. He says, I give you permission to do that. So about four days, five days later at the funeral, we're in the, the parlor with the family, and I'm with that pastor. And she comes up to us and she says, well, I did what you said. I, I beat that pillow like you have no idea. And then he asked a question. And I look back logically, and I was thinking, what a, what a risk in saying this. But he said, what happened after you, after you beat the pillow, after you tore it up, up as best you could? She said, I collapsed on it. I laid my head on it. That's who God is. For all the times we can't answer or get an answered question, the people of Israel would lament, and they would yell, and they would scream, and God looked at it as no sin at all. And he says, come to me. He comes in, the, Jesus walks around on this earth, and he says this, I want you to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. That is a picture of God. But what happens when we can't forgive people? When we can't forgive people, we can't overlook what people do in our life and move on. Here's what happens. We never, ever have a chance to receive God's goodness because we're overwhelmed in our fight. 
You know, I, I preached a wedding at my house last night, and I'm just going to tell you, it was just not the wedding I wanted. It's just not it. 280 people. 260 of them were wonderful. 20 of them, yeah, they brought out the beast in me. This is my home. This is my backyard. You don't charge anything for this. 280 people going through your kitchen and, you know, up things. And I just, you know, I remember, um, I remember just several times thinking you'd be bailing me out today, you know, and just moments where this wasn't going to go well. And the whole night, I couldn't sleep. The whole night, my mind was spinning. It wasn't one lick of prayer of God. I know these are people that love No. It was every bit of what I could do with them. With a tire iron? No. With, with, with just, the, it was just, it was full. My mind would not shut down. Yeah, that's why I have a headache. Exactly. And so the whole night I'm awake, and I'm awake, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I was justified. These people, are you kidding? Some of them just taking advantage of my kindness, and some of them, just, you know, like, and again, the people who got married, wonderful. The family, wonderful. Problem is, whenever you host a wedding, you know the people, but you don't know the Uncle Leo, right? You know? And so, no offense, no offense, Leos. But anyway, so I am looking around and I'm thinking, man, you know, I've just, I've been taken advantage of. I can't believe this. I can't believe people would do this. And my mind spins, 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 spins. And then I realize that I have to get to a point. If I walk in here bitter, jacked up in my spirit, I'm going to miss the greatest blessing coming into my family. Walking in here with people who would kill for me, my family. See, that's the thing about ministry. Whenever you hear somebody say, well, you know, in ministry we do this, in ministry this, let me tell you, most of us ministers are incredibly blessed, selfish people. We look at you and say, ah, my, my ministry. Are you kidding me? You've never been a burden. You people invite me to your home. You invite me to lunch. You, you hang out. We, we cry together. We laugh together. We do life together. But what happens when the pastor has to deal with 20 people that he would No, you know what? No. I'm entitled. I look at that and think, who are you to bring this, your world to my, to my world? Who are there's a sense of well what are you thinking? And so I can brag about I do ministry, I do ministry, but when it comes to real ministry, what do I do? Shut down. Entitlement. And so if you were to walk up to me at that moment and the Holy Spirit would say, No, do you forgive that person? What do you think of it? Of course. Because we're all forgiven. But man, deep down in my heart, <laughs> I'm dealing with something else. And this is what I this is what I'm this is what I was dealing with. And I start and then I look at this verse and I think about what 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 did Jesus do when he was looking around at these people that reviled him, that put him on a cross, that did these things. I mean, I was walking. It was last Monday. Had a chance to go to Webster Flea Market. Those of us in Tampa, that's our mecca. We go to on occasional Mondays, and I remember looking around at all the people walking around. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm a spiritual shale here, but I looked around at the people next to me. I said, do you see all these people? Can you imagine what Jesus thought when he walked to Jerusalem? Look at these people that really never cared for him. 
and they're going about their day, and he's thinking, I've got to die for you, 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 you. I'm going to die for you. And some of you are going to shout insults at me the whole way through. Now, how did Jesus view him? Look at 1 Peter 2.23. It says here, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You and I are to strive to be like Christ. You and I are to strive for what the Sermon on the Mount says, perfection. We will never gain perfection on this earth, but we are to strive for that. And then it hit me this morning that my thoughts towards these people who know no better, my thoughts, are you ready for this one? My thoughts were an offense to God, much more than their offense to me. Who is of greater sin, the person in ignorance or the person who knew better? Well, those verses are powerful to me, and they're powerful to all of us. But today's a day I want you to hear a sermon that's walked her life through a message that a pastor can ever preach. So the thing about a pastor is you preach a sermon, and sometimes you meet people that live it. And so before we bring Rebecca up, I want to give you a little foundational education into South Sudan. And Gracia, if you could come down. Um, You've been to South Sudan before. um, And you can, some of you are thinking, what exit is the South Sudan on? But anyway, so uh, Gracia, you could probably tell us a little bit about, um, just about where uh, South Sudan is. And before Rebecca comes up, just the political history of like what's going on in the war that happens there. So South Sudan is the newest country on the roster on the United Nations. But before I tell you about South Sudan, um, just to give you a um, geographical reference point, most of you know where Egypt is. And it's right below Egypt. And it's the greater country of Sudan in um, in the ancient days, during biblical times, it was known as the land of Cush. So you can think about that um, geographical point when you read about it in the, in the, in the Bible. Um, before South Sudan became South Sudan, it was larger Sudan. And the country already was had a political polarization because the northern part of the country...
And in 2011, it became a brand new country. And um, Rebecca, that you have here today, is one of those rare lost girls who survived um, this war. And so, Tessie, you can hear from Thank you very much. Rebecca, come on up. Let's give Rebecca a welcome. And Gracia, thank you. Thank you. Now, I'm not going to introduce Rebecca with a kind of a, a telling of her who she is and that, because that's part of what she's going to tell you. But for all the times you've ever thumbed through a newspaper or seen on the, on, on the tagline of, 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 a, of a news station that there was a village that was burnt out or as a village that was destroyed and you just moved on because you knew there was nothing you could do, this is a face of what was on page 20 of a newspaper. This is a face of the people that a lot of times feel so far away. But at the end of the day, I hope you see just how small this world is when it comes to our faith. So, Rebecca, thank you. Uh, it was by the Nile River. I don't know if there's a picture of that or not. Um, yes. So the village that I grew up is not a town, but it was a place called Jonglei in a, a village called Duk. And there were a lot of farm trees. Um, it, it was large and green because it's really close to the Nile. So growing up, I grew up really just having a beautiful landscape. And during dry season, we had a wildebeest season. And that was the only time we would go indoor. Because as you've seen, some of you from the Lion King movie, <laughs> it is not that fun. Because when the wildebeest come, you have to be indoor for days. Because when they come, anything they drag on the way, the farm, the children. So you are indoor. So that was my village. There was no church. I heard my dad talk about Jesus. Uh, the only thing that I have seen from my village was when the soldiers come home, there was a practice. When I hear my dad coming and soldiers, I just want to run and greet my dad and hug him. But I will be held back by my grandmother. And women will go and children at the outest cut of the village when the soldiers are coming, they will sacrifice a bull, which the villagers will eat. And then the soldiers will jump, it's called jumping on over the bull. 
And I asked my grandmother, I'm like, why? I want to just see my dad. And it's like, you know, when men left and go to war, they enter a different world. And before they are reunited with women and children, there have to be a cleansing of the spirit from the war. And it didn't make sense to me. Well, that changed really quick in 1991, ending of 91, sometime in August or September, when my village was attacked, finally. And the war that had been so far and heard about it came close that day. So that day, I would say that I lost 80% of my village people scattered everywhere. All our cattle were stolen and chicken and food. And we had to run. And um, I remember asking my uncle, where are we running? And he said, we're just running for two days. We'll be back in the village when the enemies left. Well, those two days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months. And before we know it now, we are in 1992 in July, so almost a year. And at that time, we were at the border of Sudan and Kenya at a place called Lokichokyo. And I asked my uncle, why are we here? And this place looked different. And he said, we are now refugee. And I'm like, what is a refugee? That was my first time hearing the word refugee. And he said, refugee is somebody that is kicked out of their country and can go back. And if we do go back, remember the bomb house, and I remember there was a place we stopped and they built a church on Saturday just with grass. And then on Sunday it was bombed down. And then the next Saturday they're trying to build the church again and it was bombed down. I'm like, why do we keep building it? And it's like, that's what we've been doing. We will build it on Saturday and Sunday, get bombs. Uh, so... But now we're going to Kenya and we're going to be okay. They will not bomb us because it's a, a different country. It's a Kenyan. I didn't even know the government or country. So I say, okay, we arrive at Kakuma refugee camp. Next picture. And for this is, this picture is three years into our refugee camp where we build a hut and you can see the wall is just mud and the top is grass. But when we first arrived at Kakuma refugee camp, it was just 10, as your eye can see. And the land was dry, was over 100 degrees. There was no, there was no tree, no running water, there's no rivers. Um, and I just remember just getting into the tent and all of the floor, you see it wet and it's just your sweat. You are dripping. Sweating at nighttime when you sleep and you wake up, your neck is like covered up with sand because it's a sandy place. It's a dusty area. The only animal that I saw when we arrived, which a lot of people die from, is a scorpion. That was the only thing that lived there. So three years into our life there, um, I don't know how God do this, but Thing get transformed. I don't know if the bird came or what. The, you see green thing growing and we were able to collect grass and build our hut. But we had to depend on UN. The UN will give us a scoop of rice or bean or corn, which is, we call it maize, and it's supposed to last you for 15 days. So you can imagine that you run out of your food before the next erosion. And that was life in a refugee camp. We wanted to go to school. 
there was no school. And then later on, the UN had built few schools, but then the teachers don't get paid. So sometimes they come, sometimes they don't come. So we show up. But when I see the ABCDs, I was so in love with English language and want to just learn. But that first couple of months, we didn't have exercise book or notebook. So we will just label the sand and write practice with our hand on the sand. So that was my first writing. Um, and then, you know, they say, well, you will go back to South Sudan. And then eight years now, we are still in a refugee camp of no hope of going back to our own country and no hope of moving forward. And things really become difficult in a refugee camp. You can take anybody, any one of you, and put you in a place where you don't have dream or hope for your life and you don't see for even a year and you will be a different person. And so life change people will become violent in a refugee camp. But again, as a child, I, you know, want to run around and explore. And this is what I tell people, children in a war zone are a huge mission field. Because a child is a child. They, you know, they know that the environment is bad, but they still have that children joy of want to explore and why. And so I ran into people that say they're going to church. And I show up on Sunday and it was just raw of uh, dirt made of dirt, so it was not chair like this, this beautiful chair. And we sit there and somebody talk about Jesus and talk about how Jesus Christ died for our sin and he was not sinful. And to me, that day, the whole world thing, because I used to ask my uncle, why are people fighting and why did this person die? And then that would just say, don't ask a lot of questions. So I took that somehow to be like, are we not good people? Like, why are these things happening? But when I heard of the story of Jesus, I want to know more. Here is a person that was sinless, but have suffered in a worse humiliating death that even me, that I went through persecution was made by humiliate like Christ. And I want to know more about it. So I keep coming to church on Sunday and I become a person of faith at Kakuma Refugee Camp. And um, when I was uh, 12 going to 13, I got my first period and my uncle, this was a practice. There's nothing to do with girls in a refugee camp. You can go to school. You can have a job. So the next thing for you is to be a wife and make babies at 14, whenever you get your period. So a man came to my uncle and asked my uncle, Hen, in marriage, well, I come from a tribe where we practice what they call a bride price. A man have to pay something to marry you. Well, in a refugee camp, there's nothing. You can have a job. So the guy left to go back to Sudan, even if they're bombing people somehow, maybe he was going to find money, I don't know where. So he left to go to Sudan. And it was during that time in 2000 that the program Lost Boys of Sudan was going on. And one of my teachers asked me, you know what? You, this, this program, Lost Boys of Sudan, United States is bringing in people because the churches and Homeland Security finally pick up this history of the lost boy and they want to help these children. And I say, well, I don't know how to go to the UN. I, you know, it's far away, three hours. And I'm not allowed to go to travel by myself. It's like, I will pick you up and take you there. And I apply. 
I apply for, because one of the qualifications is that you are an orphan, you don't have mom and dad. And I didn't. My dad, when we were in a refugee camp, we heard that he was killed at the battlefield. And then my mother had died at one of the run. She had a baby, no hospital, running for days and didn't make it. And the baby didn't make it. And my grandmother. So I applied and I did get in. So I came in November of 2000. Um, I remember coming to New York and looking down, which is the Welcome to America. I look at the Statue of Liberty and as the plane was like just going down, going down, I look and I look and I'm like, oh, she looked like a woman. And I'm like, I don't know nothing about the United States. I never watched a movie before I came to the U.S. I never read any book about the United States. I'm going to this new learn that None of my ancestors have been there or anybody I know have traveled there. How am I going to digest? And then I keep looking at the Statue of Liberty. I'm like, oh, she's a woman. And there was two incidents that I get lost and get separated with my uncle family during our run. And some women have found me one time that I was so dehydrated when they give me something to drink my throat, I just, my throat just bleed because I had three days where I didn't have water in a desert. And it was a woman that rescued me. And I'm like, oh, Statue of Liberty is welcoming her. She's a woman. I'll be good. I'm in good hand. <laughs> so two days later into my stay, the snow start coming down in Michigan. Of all places, a girl that grew up in a refugee camp being our door, her whole 15 years coming to Michigan and there's white stuff falling down. And I'm like, okay, the ending of the world, but why, why would I leave? I, I want the world to end when I was playing with my friend at the church at our makeup church, but now with, I don't even know these people. Um, and then I find out it's snow, it's just cold, but it's, it's not the end of the world. So I end up being, going to school, being the first ESL student at my school. And just remember being overwhelmed with English and everything that is going on. Food is so dark. Uh, came November, I think I didn't see a sun till like April or May. So that was really hard. But within that time, I was getting really tired and not focusing. And my foster mom was like, you know what? It's just a change of diet and new environment and all of that because they know when we come to the U.S., they have to do all of uh, medical checkup of diseases. And one of the last thing they do one week before you fly out is pregnancy test. And they did it. But after my pregnancy test was done two days before I left for United States, I was assaulted. And then when I arrived, they did a pregnancy test a day later. And of course, nothing showed, right? So I'm tired in high school. Um, then my foster mom told me, oh, I'm going to have an appointment at the doctor's office. Let's go. And I just remember her cheering and they're like, oh, she haven't got her period. And hello, oh, I will just try. She went, put the magic ones in my belly. Like, let me just try. And she just looked at me and my mom was like, why is she here again? My foster mom was like, I think she saw it right away. And they're like, she's pregnant. So I'm now in high school, being the first ESL student. Be that, that thing just dropped that day. That and I 
my foster mom was like, what? It's not impossible. They did a test. And when she arrived, we did one too. This is what it is. So again, my life seemed like I was shattering there. But God put my foster family and my friend from high school to just embrace me. And I say, I'm, I'm dropping out of high school. They're like an immigrant in the United States that don't have anybody to help like family with no English and a baby and you're going to drop out. My first time, I'm like, just keep going to school. You love school. I will help you. And that's what we did. So I graduated from high school and went to a college, Calvin College in Grand Rapids. And then from there, by God's grace, I was able to get my master's degree and then start to have my own family again. But now, you know, have been at the back of my head, like maybe I should share my story. But part of me, I don't really want to relieve because we live in lie, right? I, I'm like, I don't want to visit those memories. Well, they are there. I just don't want to visit them, though. but they are there. Well, that changed one time when I was in Washington, D.C. at the Native American Museum. And I was going through just looking at the artifacts and I came through a round bead that were kind of done with nuts and tied. And then it say on a description that a Native American woman will record her experience, courtship and heartbreaking and good thing using the system of nuts and beads and that she can share her history with her family or whoever she wants. Or she doesn't have to share it. But when she die, they are buried with her. And a woman can end up having several time ball, depending on the experience. And I just remember crying. And I was like, oh, wow. So she can share, she cannot share. But when she died, regardless, they are buried. And I'm like, my story will be buried with me. And that was the first time I was like, maybe I should share one day. And then I had forgotten three years first. I had my first, uh, my second child now, Ding. I'm breastfeeding, watching TV, a lot of news about children at the U.S. border. And and just looking at my baby, my innocent child, something in me just trigger. And my son at that time was having allergies, um, issues, so he wasn't sleeping well. So I just pull out my iPhone at night when he's not sleeping, and I just start writing, writing, and everything just flashed back from good time in my village having my uncles, because even if we are not blood, we call people that are our dad, age man, uncle, and aunties, and aunt, and grandmas, just, just being that joy of childhood, and again, that dark day when our village was attacked and that I was separated with some people that I haven't even seen now. And some of them, I keep meeting them, either they come to Australia or Canada. And I just keep writing. And then I share my story with a friend. Oh, you know, she's like, what are you working on? And I told her, I've been just writing and journaling and it have been healing for me. She's like, you should share it uh, with somebody and I did, and it was picked up by Hachette. And last year in September, my book came out, What They Meant for Evil. The title is based on Genesis where Joseph. Um, and I did go back in 2009, actually, for the first time, and I was so mad. I was just like, I can't wait to go back and even meet the guy that 
link up with the northern government and burn down my village. I'm like, I just want to curse him out, just do something to him. Find him. You call you you have caused me suffering. My mom and dad die and everybody I know. Um and then so when I think of that and when I land in South Sudan and just seeing children that were born while I was gone and people trying to pick up their life, that Bible burst come into my mind like what you have meant for evil to kick me out of the country, God, God to redeem it. And so that's how I came up with that title. And um, they, in that title too, include me. Because there was a point in my life where I thought that, you know, there's so many voices. You are this, you are this person, you are that, that you think that... Um, Maybe God didn't intended me to be here or to have good things, but that's not a voice of God. And um, so I always love that title when I look at it, because not only was I forgiving the sin of others, but my own self, the sin that we do to ourselves where we get dragged down when somebody is like making us mad and thinking to join them in that diminishing and uh, being mad and but yeah, and also in that thing, I talk a lot about forgiveness and the importance of uh, lamenting. And I spend a lot of time, I scream at God, I ask him a lot of questions, but I'm strong in my faith today because of that season. One thing that I know for sure is that the love of God, even when I don't feel it, I've always been there and it's always going to be there. There's no amount of sin or suffering that will ever take away from me is love. And I just want to encourage each of you as you go to the world and experience your own trauma or your own suffering. My suffering came from being bombed, from my family members dying, from living in a refugee camp with no hope for eight years. And your suffering might come through family, through diseases, through anything. At the end of the day, we just have to look into God and um, to trust Him to redeem our story. And in the first services, I hear that one of my favorite artwork is the Japanese artwork where they take broken clay or pottery and then they highlight where it was broken with gold, using gold or um silver and they when it's fixed like that it become more expensive and it is just to emphasize that brokenness can be meant and it, it makes you more beautiful and more expensive so as you go out tonight in your own life looking in your own heart and inviting god to fill in all those crack of brokenness or your community just know that you are precious and you are loved and we are all called together to be in this mission of loving ourselves and loving the world. Uh, and this is how been God's mission from the beginning of time. And again, in the first services, I say that there's no day you will ever look into somebody's eye. There's no day, there's no year, there's no century you will ever look into somebody's eye that God doesn't love. And that's what God has taught me through my forgiveness and dealing with my wounds. So may you do that. Thank you. Thank you.
And uh, maybe you want to tell us a bit about your family now and, and yeah. your children. So my, so my daughter, the one I had in high school, Choli, she's in um, high school now, will be graduating in May. And then I had my little boy, Ding, that was born. I named him after my father to honor him. And then my little girl, Iona, and my husband, they both live in Michigan. And um, I'm going through another trial <laughs> um, now that I don't even know what God is trying to say. But all I know is that he's there. He has brought me all this long, and he will continue to do that. And... Um, yeah, so that's my family. God is still writing my story. God bringing me close to him again, because I think I had a period uh, where I had said, you know what, God, I have suffered enough. I'm 34 and I have been through, so I might go deal with somebody else. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> this time. <laughs> but you know what? He never, that one I make it up, he never called us that when we suffer, we will never suffer. But he said that I will walk you through it and I'll be there for you. Thank you. You know, uh, what's interesting is uh, your story is getting out. In this book, and hey, we have this book, um, I just feel like you're going to break down crying any minute. I'm holding it together, you know. And, uh, and uh, then the book tells a lot more detail yeah. about what she went through. So if you that book's in the lobby. And then again tonight, you'll be able to hear some more too. So if you want to come, just text me. My number is in the in the bulletin. And let me know how many, and we'll make sure we have plenty. But that's at five thirty at my house. It's amazing how God's using you. Not, I mean, just not in only in here, but it was about a couple months ago. Rebecca got a phone call, um, and. Somebody calls his name is Louis Giglio, and a lot of you. And she goes, "Who's Louis Giglio?" And then he says, "Would you come and speak with us at a, at at Passion at a conference?" She says, "What's Passion?" And next thing you know, two weeks later, she was speaking in front of nearly seventy thousand people with Louis Giglio, Louis, Louis Giglio, and and so and it's sharing her story, and that's what God is doing. And um, for whatever your struggle is. Um, how many of you out there would just say, this week, at some point, you are going to lift Rebecca up in that struggle that she is going through uniquely? And it, how many of you would just promise to do that at some point during this week? And at any given time where Rebecca comes to your heart and your mind, just lift her up. And so we are just, again, grateful for you. And you're, uh, you know, you always use this term, sometimes too loosely, Jesus with flesh on. And uh, Jesus looks good in black. I'm just going to tell you that, darling, because you just brought the word today to us. You spoke to me. You spoke to so many of us. So, again, can we just praise the Lord one more time? Thank you. Thank you. And for my book, I forget to tell you the odds. So if you go to Amazon, it's at Burns Noble Amazon. It is on Kindle or uh, audio, and the audio, the the, um, the lady voice that read my book oh, yeah. is the leading voice in the Lion King, the musical. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of college students love that. And I listen to it, and it's so beautifully done. So, <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you again. What a blessing. Thank you. Well, we, it's, been a, it's been a joy to, to be able to, to share in that today. And that's our message. That's our message with uh, um, that Rebecca just brought to us. I just want to encourage you again to um, to recognize what she said at the end. It spoke to my heart. There's not one person 
that we see on TV, not one person we've ever imagined that causes harm or bad that Jesus doesn't love. That spoke to me for sure. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for life that you've given us. And thank you, Lord, for um, the story that Rebecca has shared. Lord, it's a story that we were able to listen to in 30 minutes. But Father lived out her entire life. And Lord, we think of, of a little girl who didn't only found out later her mother and her, her father passed. And Lord, her grandmother was like a second mom to be, to be distant from every other person she would know except for an uncle. But God, you never left her. You never forsook her. You never abandoned her. And God, if, um, if we just look to that example to recognize that in any turmoil, anything we ever go through, Jesus, you've never left us, and you won't. And for that, we say thank you. Lord, I just pray, and we all pray right now collectively for Rebecca's struggle that has fallen on her right now, whatever that may be, that, Lord Jesus, you would give her the same confidence of faith that she had in telling her story. That, Lord, whenever we walk through a new valley, it's easy to forget how we were carried in the valley before. All of us have been there in that valley. And God, for that valley right now, we pray in Jesus' name that you do something miraculous in her life. Father, we give you this day. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.